0: You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
1: Good evening, and welcome to the November 9th edition of Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.05 here in Raleigh.
2: I'm your host, John Boyer, joined by Chris Chaffee here, uh, Assistant Public Affairs Director and humble producer of this show. Now, John, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but there's this energy drink available for purchase at your local convenience store that packs a powerful punch. Have you heard of this? I have. Oh, yes.
1: I've also heard that you've done
2: a little participatory journalism. Yes, I did a little participatory. No, I didn't. I have never had one in my life. (laughs) Anyway, um, so, yes, it turns out that there is this thing called four Loco and Juice and Sparks, and they're really bad for you, and they're dangerous. And so I did a little investigative reporting. Without further ado, John, we are going to play this story right now. Across the country people are joining together in an attempt to rid store shelves of malt liquor energy drinks such as juice for loco and sparks while many people are unaware of exactly what these 23.5 ounce cans contain most people agree on one thing 12 percent alcohol by volume plus caffeine is a combination for mayhem according to the los angeles times one of these drinks contain the alcohol of four beers and the caffeine of three to four cups of coffee many people are blaming these drinks for a multitude of different Crimes, and recently Oklahoma and Michigan have banned these products. In light of the recent surge in public outrage, I decided to explore these products. How do they affect the human body? Why are they in the state of North Carolina, and who buys them? I began my search in the office of Chris Austin, Assistant Director of Health Promotion and Substance Abuse Prevention at North Carolina State University. We started by discussing the potentially dangerous interaction between alcohol and caffeine.
3: What does happen is um, you you are going to get the stimulating effects of the caffeine, and you're going to get the depressant effects of the alcohol. With the stimulating effects, um, what it might mean is perhaps some students are choosing to drink these products might stay a little bit more energized and which might mean that they might be drinking longer because like alcohol is a depressant and after a while if people keep drinking it it will make them sleepy now you add caffeine onto that then you've got an extra perhaps longer time that somebody can uh, can drink
2: According to Dr. Austin, that extra time people are alert and drinking can pose serious health consequences, especially since the size of the can can misguide a consumer into thinking that one can is equal to one serving size.
3: If you've got can of say like four loco that's 23.5 ounces in one can and in north carolina it can be 12 percent alcohol in that can then students might treat that can as one serving and it's going to be basically more like a six pack if you had a can of beer most people have that 12 ounce can of beer they know what they've got lots of people it seems like with uh, the four loco they are treating that as one serving size and not knowing they're getting like I said, six servings or if it's a 6% can and they're getting like, you know, three servings of alcohol. So that's what I see as the real downside of it is just how it's marketed and sold in that way.
2: After getting a better understanding of what these types of malt liquor energy drinks were, I wanted to find out the demographic of people who purchased them. For a better perspective on who actually buys these types of beverages, I interviewed Johnny Baxter, an employee of P Street Market, a local store that not only sells craft beers, but malt liquors and fortified wines as well who buys the Four Loko? I'm
4: looking at him. Um, it's mainly college students and
2: young young drinkers. And why do you think people uh, why do you think it's so popular among the youth?
4: A lot of younger drinkers are I believe just looking to catch a fast buzz and are less concerned with really, you know, the taste quality of beers.
2: How much does a Four Loko cost at P Street Market?
4: Uh, two twenty nine plus tax, and it is 24 ounces of 12% alcohol. Oftentimes, people will buy
2: frightening amounts of them. What's the uh, most four locos you've ever seen someone purchase? Probably about a dozen. It's become an established fact that malt liquor energy drinks are most popular among college drinkers. So I wanted to find out why a college student would be willing to subject themselves to such a seemingly unpleasant experience. I talked to Dylan in NC State Junior to try and figure out why these drinks are so appealing
5: well when I'm going out being a broke college student my beverage of choice is the four locos because they're so cost effective I mean there are something like 240 250 a can and the things one of them will knock you out for a whole night normally I'll have one and I'll be pretty good to go for the rest of the night but on occasion I've had I've had more than one I can't really make it past a couple and you can also find them in just about every major gas station. Uh, You can even find them in some grocery stores as well. So they're just so easy to acquire. They're extremely cheap and they're really effective.
2: Since these types of beverages have only gained prominence in the last several years, I began to explore why these drinks have begun to pop up now. My search led me to Sean Lily Wilson, proprietor of Full Steam Brewery and head of the Pop the Cap campaign, a lobby effort that introduced House Bill 392, which amended the definition of a malt beverage in North Carolina law. I sat down with Mr. Wilson and discussed not only Bill 392, But the history of alcohol law and craft brewing in North Carolina. It really just took out an or tweaked some words in the
6: general uh, in the general statutes. Malt-based beverages cannot be above 6% alcohol. And we went in and just said, all you have to do is eliminate those six words. That was the original goal. Just take out those six words and not more than 6%. Because it wouldn't be changing the definition of beer in how it was made, formulated, or anything like that. It would just be getting rid of a clause that restricted the amount of alcohol it could have. Ultimately, what they did was a change of the numeric value from 6 to 15. There was other minor boilerplate changes to tighten up the language but the biggest change was just in the allowed amount of alcohol in a beer
2: according to mr wilson the rationale for this law dates back almost to prohibition it was thanks to powerful mill owners who were trying to keep their workers in line our
6: understanding is, uh, and history is a little vague on this, but that it, it was mill owners who pressured the North Carolina legislature to enact a 6% cap because they were worried that workers would show up to work drunk on Mondays. It wasn't even a 6% cap. It was actually a 5% cap. And then in the 80s, it was bumped up to 6%. And it just was one of those things. It never came up. We dealt with it. And there was a sort of enough of a sea change in the mid-2000s that we were working our way to to getting rid of this law. It just Took 70 years.
2: So why change a cap that had been largely ignored for so long? According to Wilson, it's directly tied to the craft brewing industry in North Carolina. With the cap lifted, the industry has thrived because now craft brewers can be competitive in the market. Before Bill 392, North Carolina was only one of five states in the union to have such a low alcohol per volume restriction on beer. Now, the only states that have such a low cap are Mississippi and Utah. The lifting of the cap has really helped
6: legitimize North Carolina as a great beer state. We had a lot of great breweries already here in North Carolina with Highland, you know, Red Oak, and Carolina Brewery. There was already a number of breweries in the state making great beer. By lifting the cap, we we're basically saying, hey, we're on a level playing field with all the other states in, in the U.S. and we can compete with them and make great beer. And since that time, I think we've maybe doubled or nearly tripled the number of breweries and brew pubs here in the state. We're now over 40. And it's just not only the number of breweries that is local craft beer, but just the interest in North Carolina beer has surged. When you have essentially the last vestige of prohibition lifted and a big inhibitor to be taken seriously at a national level. Now we're really the best beer state in the South, bar none. And it's not solely because of the the cap, but that had a a big impetus in, in legitimizing North Carolina's craft beer community.
2: My next question for Wilson was, did he feel that these malt liquor energy drinks were an unintended consequence of the change in North Carolina law? I don't see unintended consequences
6: coming from our work to uh, modernize North Carolina's beer laws for two reasons. One, there's only one state that has that law still in place. And two, there's an inconsistency in enforcement, because if you're going to have and single out a particular type of malt liquor, then it gets to what other things that, that are out there that are potentially dangerous. And I think that's a, a very dangerous, um, you know, slippery slope, as they say. There's MD 2020. There's Everclear. There are vehicles to abuse alcohol.
2: I asked Wilson if he felt all this talk about malt liquor energy drinks was justified, or if it was just some sensationalists attacking a new villain. There's been a lot of hyperbole around juice and
6: four loco, and I see it in some of the community activists that are sending out these, you know, shocking emails of like, girl passes out. This is the the other day on like the the Durham forum thing. Girl passes out in Fayetteville after drinking four loco. Well, guess what? A girl in Fayetteville probably also passed out that day drinking vodka. That's what kids do. Now, you know. It's illegal to do that, last I checked. If she's under 21, it's illegal to do that. That's the main, the most important thing. If she's 22 years old or if he's 25 years old or he's 67 years old and it gets to be a societal problem and there's health effects, then that's an issue that ultimately legislators and the people take on. And uh, in Oklahoma, in Michigan, they have now
2: banned these drinks. In fact, everyone I talked to said something along the same lines. To Dylan and Johnny Baxter, it's not about what you drink, it's about how much you drink. And to Dr. Austin, he feels that people are always trying to rebrand the same thing in new ways. It seems that the moral of this story is that drinking too much is bad for you.
5: I can understand partially where they're coming from. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the combination of caffeine and malt liquor... Doesn't do too well for your heart. But at the same time, these people that are claiming that kids drinking Four Locos and then going out and causing traffic accidents need to realize that it wasn't the Four loco that they drank that caused it. It was the fact that they drank a ridiculous amount of alcohol. In my opinion, I think people are making a big deal over something that really shouldn't be. I don't see any reason for them to be banned. I mean, in reality, they're not much different than pouring yourself a vodka Red Bull. So... I would have to say that I don't think they should be banned.
4: Inexperienced drinkers have been binge drinking for generations. That's nothing new. And once in a while, one of them is going to suffer alcohol poisoning. It happened when I was a kid. It happened when my dad was a kid. It's going to keep happening, and banning Four Loko is not going to make that go away. Now, that said, the Four Loko does seem to be designed specifically for binge drinking. And so I question the
3: uh, ethics of making such a product. There's always going to be marketing, um, and it doesn't matter what it is, they're going to find a new way to sell an old product. And I'm not saying um, alcohol energy drinks are necessarily an old product, but when this started several years ago with vodka and Red Bull, this is just a newer way to market that. Basically, we're not using vodka, but we're using something differently. It's just a remarketing of it. Every 10 years or so, there's there's a a new way that um, illegal drugs are marketed. It's the same old illegal drugs. This has been
2: Chris Chaffee for Eye on the Triangle.
7: I you it I the corner, so i
8: soundbites on eye on the triangle
9: opinions from around nc state and the rest of the triangle
8: for
10: eye on the triangle i'm tom anderson for this week's soundbites chris chaffee and i set out to durham for the first night of troika music festival on thursday november 4th throughout the night we ran into a variety of folks fans organizers and musicians alike were all too happy to share their thoughts on this year's installment of durham's north carolina flavored troika music festival
2: your name please Dan Grinder and Dan Grinder uh, what do you do here at Troika this year I go and catch as many bands as I can and then uh, I'll play later on are you playing tonight I'm playing Saturday night now tell me a little about uh, your Troika experience so far is this your first Troika no I've been to two other Troikas before it, it, all, all of them are great the best part is that you have so many different types of bands that you can go catch and you can catch pretty much everything good that's local now uh, now, uh, what is your favorite part of Troika just seeing everyone around and enjoying local music are you from Durham? I'm from Raleigh, actually. So you've come all the way to Durham to see this beautiful showing. Durham's not that far. I like to think of the Triangle as one big music scene. Probably the best in the nation, at least if not the best, one of the best. Uh, just so many different
6: types
11: of diverse music and everyone's
12: really talented. Ashley Melzer. Now what is your role here? I'm covering it for the Indie Weekly. How is has so far? So far, it's cold, but Birds and Arrows sound really good.
2: Have you seen Birds and Arrows before?
12: Never, never. I've written a lot about them from time to time because I think she's an amazing singer, but I've never seen them play. So.
2: Now, uh, what else are you excited about tonight?
12: Tonight, uh, Justin Robinson and the Marionettes and Vili, principally. Will you be
2: around for uh, Valiant Thor?
12: I, I said in my itinerary that I was gonna be there, but I'm, I, we're gonna see. They're pretty metal, and I'm not sure if I'm metal enough. I really want to be metal enough, but I'm not sure.
2: You don't really have to be that metal. I don't
12: have to. I mean, probably true.
2: So, uh, uh, have you been to Troika
13: before?
12: Yes.
2: How many years have you been to Troika?
12: I didn't go last year. I went year before last.
2: Now, have you been to other music festivals this year?
12: Yes. I went to Merlefest, and I covered Hopscotch.
2: And how does Troika rank?
12: Troika ranks pretty good because I get to sleep in my own bed and I get to see people I know and support local music.
10: This is Tom Anderson for Island of the Triangle. We're here at Durham Central Park, the opening night of uh, Troika Music Festival, and I'm here with...
5: Victoria O'Boyle. Victoria, where are you from?
12: I'm from Durham.
10: Um, so is this the first year you've been to Troika or have you been in years yes, past? Yes, first year. First year, so um, were you here for Birds and Arrows?
12: Yes, I loved them.
10: Have you seen them before?
12: No, it's the first time.
10: Are you going to be going to all three days of Troika?
12: I don't so I can't. Maybe Saturday.
10: And uh, what are you looking forward to most?
12: I just want to experience all these local bands because I'm new to the local music. So I'm here with?
14: Wendy White. I've been to a Troika for quite a number of years and kind of been a part of it for a while.
10: Was that back when it was the Durham Music Festival?
14: Uh, No, more recently than that. Probably the last like four years, I've been a part of it and and different. But this is the first time I've come just as a participant, just to come and like listen to the music.
10: So what what had you done in years past?
14: I've kind of served on the committee one year and, and helped with kind of running running some of it and then also um, you know we, we just kind of volunteer be be at some of the venues, help collect money make sure the bands got on and off okay, that type of thing.
10: Cool, so um, are you going to be going to all three nights this this, uh, this oh,
14: year? Yeah, absolutely I was already there Wednesday night over at Broad Street Cafe to kind of check out some of the highlights and get ramped up for it Is there anything
10: in particular you're looking forward to this year?
14: Uh, I love Birds and Arrows, I just think they're an amazing band and definitely up and coming and the the talent in Durham is just astounds me so I'm I'm here to support it. Wendy thank you very much. You're welcome thanks for coming.
11: My name is Dan just arrived here for Birds and Arrows Uh, stopped by and got a triangle beer and waiting to move on to the next next show this evening. Now what
2: are you uh, looking forward to this evening?
11: Uh, This evening probably looking forward to Midtown Dickens the most. Uh, haven't decided the rest of my my schedule, but that's part of the beauty of it, is that you have many choices that can go with where the night takes you.
2: Now, have you been excited about the new venues? Uh, I know Motorco was added this year, along with uh,
11: Full Steam? Uh, yeah, Full Steam and then CASPA's uh, also new to the Durham music scene, so all of those, it's very exciting, especially in the Central Park district here, where you have Full Steam, right across the street from Motorco, and starting off here tonight with Durham Central Park, it's all, uh, all very lively area now. now have you been to uh, these new venues yet I have been to full steam was there on Monday they had a burlesque show there and so uh, it was uh, it was phenomenal there was a great turnout and full Steam has a pretty good line of line of beers to go along with it what else do you want to say to the listeners uh, it 's just a very exciting time to be here in Durham with all of the new new venues that are opening up and there's always been a very strong local music scene here so it's nice to be able to have a weekend for them to show their talents and we certainly welcome everyone to to come and have a have a taste of what durham is like and see what it's all about
12: my name's
8: josh starmer and what do you do i play cello with birds and arrows we just finished playing and how, how was it? It was fantastic. It's kind of magical. So, like, it's crummy weather and raining and cold, and yet it's it's still a great experience. This happened last year, too. It wasn't rainy, but it was... Everything was bad up until when we played, and then it was perfect. And that's the same thing happened this... Tonight.
2: Now, you you had a decent turnout, even
8: the rain. Now, do you look forward to Troika? Like, I think a lot of fans look forward to Troika every year. Oh, yeah, I do. I've got my schedule all, like, highlighted and planned out, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. How many many years have you played Troika? This is just my second. The thing I like about it so much is um, with Birds and Errors, we play a lot, and we never get to hear the other other local bands because we're either playing or we're, we're practicing or we're just too tired uh but what's awesome about troika is it's like it's everyone i've ever wanted to hear that's local right here right now now uh, what other bands are you looking forward to tonight and you know for the whole weekend uh you know so uh, justin Robinson and the marionettes um uh, they have among other things they have an excellent viola player. I'm pretty psyched about Chatham County line. I'm I'm psyched about uh Beely. I'm She's uh, all pretty much everyone.
10: Here with Martin Anderson of Tricky Records. How are you tonight Martin? I'm doing great. And uh Brad Cook is here also. What up man? I assume this isn't y'all's first year coming to Truck, is it not? Nope. No. I think I've been to every one. Yeah. Everyone back when it was Durham music festival, or just oh, everyone's no, just Detroit guys, since yeah, was it. Yeah, was that like a, oh, 5 six five Probably. Or six. Yeah, that's probably the first time I came. What are you guys looking forward to this year? Vili? Um Hammer, No More, of The Fingers, Phil Cook His Feet, Mount Mariah, Midtown Dickens, and all all the, all the hits. Yeah, man. Where are y'all headed after this? You staying here all night? Uh, I think so, man. I think we're gonna check out
3: the bands. Yeah, I camping out. I was up. totally destroying it since 2007 or eight.
10: Would you rather be the color orange or a private university? Uh, Probably the color orange. (laughs) Private orange. All right, well, that's all all I got. got. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Y'all enjoy Enjoy yourselves.
1: You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC. The time is 726. It's 53 degrees here in Raleigh. Coming up after the break... We'll talk a little more about the weather with meteorologist Katie Costa. We'll visit our VIP representative from the North Carolina State University NAACP, Josh Smith. And we'll talk to Mark about food. This week he's got some collard greens he wants to talk about. Then, of course, it's time for sports. And that wraps up the rest of Eye on the Triangle. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss it.
14: You're listening to
0: Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
1: Well, it's 728 here on WKNC. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle, joined by meteorologist Katie Costa, here to tell us a little about our weather forecast for the week ahead.
0: Well, today we saw a pleasant warm day with temperatures climbing back into the 70s. However, tonight it will drop down to a chilly 39 degrees, so be sure to have that jacket handy. Now, currently it is 53 degrees out there with calm winds, so not too cold out there yet. Now, taking a look at your forecast for the rest of the week, Tomorrow, expect slightly cooler conditions than today with a high of around 66. And we will see sunny skies once again, so a great day to get outdoors. Tomorrow night will be another cold night with a low of around 42. Now, Veterans Day, we will once again see sunny skies with a high of around 62. Perfect day for a walk around the park when remembering and honoring our military veterans. Now, Thursday night, we will drop down to 38, so be sure to bundle up. Now, Friday, expect another nice day with sunny conditions and temperatures to climb into the mid-60s. However, be sure to dress warm Friday night if you're planning on heading out since we will dip down into the mid-30s. Now, if you are planning on heading out to the Wake Forest game Saturday, expect perfect weather at the stadium with sunny skies and highs in the upper 60s. Saturday night, we will see another cold night, however, with temperatures dropping into the upper 30s. Now we will see mostly sunny conditions and temperatures reaching into the upper 60s on Sunday with lows around 40 for Sunday evening. So overall, expect pleasant weather for the rest of this week and upcoming weekend with sunny skies and temperatures in the 60s during the daytime. But expect cold nighttime temperatures since temperatures will be dropping off into the 30s and 40s. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in to your WKNC forecast. Back to you, John.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Katie.
9: The Triangles VIP, talking
1: to people that matter.
2: WKNC eighty eight point one. I am Chris Chaffee, and I'm joined here this evening with uh, NAACP President Josh Smith. Uh, thanks for joining me.
7: Thanks for having me.
2: And uh, and so you are the president of the NAACP um, at NC State. Now, talk a little about the NAACP. What what do you um, what does your group do? And how long have you guys been on campus?
7: Um, the group has been on campus since I want to say 2005. Uh, the organization basically we fight against racial, you know, hatred and discrimination, and we also work around with groups in the community as far as uh, community service with, you know, younger uh, students and you know, this, uh, uh, this uh, students and kids, and we also work work with, you know, just other organizations on campus to try to, I guess, establish leadership roles on campus.
2: Now, um, what kind of groups do you uh, work with that are not at NC State?
7: Um, right now, the groups that we do are primarily with community service. As far as Salvation Army, uh, we're trying to actually do uh, certain food drives and everything. But most of the the groups that we do work with is not not really on a permanent basis, but as they have the need for it. So Salvation Army and like YMCA, uh, Boys and Girls Club stuff, you know, in that order.
2: No, um what what events does your club have coming up in the next uh, semester or the next year
7: um next semester we're we're trying to the i guess get a co-sponsor with uh in the month of february for a civil rights uh kind of like a, a movement for uh, two programs where we try to go like then and now uh, well, back then and then now as far as uh different civil rights uh or and different uh i guess racial hatred uh crimes that's going on on campus because I know there's a lot of things that's happening now, but we're trying to focus on things that happened in the past because we can't be educated if we don't know much about our history. So we're trying to get that together with different organizations on campus, but that's a work in progress.
2: Now, what kind of presence does the NAACP have at NC State um, on, a, on a weekly basis? What 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 kind of meetings do you have? What kind of programs do you have?
7: Um, our meetings are usually scheduled the f- uh, first Tuesday of the month. Uh, as far as our presence on campus, I, in the past, it's been somewhat of a smaller presence unless. There's been like an actual you no know, incident that's happened on campus, but we're actually trying to push towards more of doing community service and having like a positive outlook with different students and actually showing them that you know we need leads to step up and that starts with people in, and it's not just with African American students that's with students in general so that's that's the, the presence we're trying to have on campus
2: right now um you did mention the incident. Um, on campus, there was a bit of an incident uh, last week in the Free Expressions Tunnel. Someone wrote some uh, racially insensitive things. Um, what has the response been like to your organization and to um, to other organizations on campus?
7: Um, as far as the response is gone, we're we're trying to make sure that we stay in the boundaries of the state NAACP. So we have talked to our state president, Dr. William Barber, about it and. We're actually trying to he's already spoke to the chancellor about it. And they've also had the ASAP meeting, the African-American Student Advisory Council meeting, where they had the chancellor come in and talk about it. So right now it's trying to be like somewhat of a friendly response because we don't want it to seem like, oh, we want this change. But we want at the same time, we want something to change. So we're trying to make sure that it's an organized matter. But we're still trying to take steps towards that and try to, I guess, progress further so that we don't keep, you know, repeating the same steps that haven't been effective.
2: Now, um, what? What has the response from students been like? Uh, what have you heard?
7: Um, I, I know uh, they had the incident and that Wednesday following. They had students have the blackout on the free expression tunnel where they weren't allowing students to enter or exit. And I, I know that other people have responded you know, on their own about it. And I think that was the biggest thing that they've they've done as far as response to it. I mean, we're getting feedback from, you know, it's been something that's occurring and it's starting to become something that uh, we is not necessarily a tradition but it's like a habit that we want to break but it's 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 being kind of difficult trying to address it and I guess be fair towards everyone but at the same time try to implement things or have the administration have things implemented where we can prevent it from happening in the future
2: right um and uh I was at the NAACP meeting NAACP meeting earlier today and uh you guys were discussing some scra- stra- strategies as to um how best address the problem um and try and eradicate it on campus uh the problem of racist stuff in the tunnel every year seems so silly uh what what do you what what kind of strategies are you guys looking at in the future
7: Um, as far as far as it goes, we've done this in the past where we've tried to get the university to to be tougher on the actual individuals that commit these hate crimes, because we understand it's a free expression tunnel. And this is really, uh, you know, a thin line to try to cross that and say, what's free expression or free freedom of speech and what's hate speech. But when you use racial slurs and things that are offensive, that nature, that's when it becomes hate speech. And it, it, you know, it inflicts fear. And I think that's know uh, violation of campus policy and a lot of students also agree about that so I, I really think that the the way they try to I guess calm down on it as far as security of the, secu- uh, the free expression tunnel where is not really I guess policing it but just making sure that when incidents do occur we can find out the individuals that did it and then follow proper procedures as far as di- not necessarily disciplining them but I guess consequences for doing it because it is I guess putting a negative light on the university
2: Now, also, uh, you guys mentioned perhaps having um, classes uh, for incoming students um, on diversity.
7: Yeah. Um, As far as the diversity classes, I know before or in the past they've done that alcohol EDU, and it would be something sort of towards that where it would be something that students would be required to take. I think it would be very essential for the students to take it because a lot of students, it's a culture shock coming to NC State. They're from small towns, and they come to a university as as big as a city so I think it would be very essential because it, I think the diversity class would probably, you know, expose you to other cultures, other, you know, races and ethnicities. And and I think it would broaden your scope as far as, you know, what's different. And I, I guess it wouldn't have you in that one track tunnel vision mind as far as everything goes.
1: I wanted to remind our listeners that if they had any questions for Josh Smith, a great way to get them in right now would be to send us a tweet, WKNCEOT, WKNC881, affairs at WKNC.org, or send us a message on Facebook. Multiple ways to do it. So we do want to hear from you and have you be part of this conversation as well.
2: Now, speaking of the conversation, what what has been um, like the overarching feeling among students after this incident, I know that there's been several meetings about it and things like that. How are people responding to this? Because I feel like every every time this happens, there's like the combination of negativity and positivity and despair. Like, what what's been the response?
7: Um, as far as from an emotional aspect, I feel like at first it it starts off being fear because I mean, it just from if, if you're African American, if you're you're Caucasian, uh, Indian, any any race. You, you feel kind of uncomfortable because you don't know if that individual that committed that crime or feels that way is sitting beside you in class. So I think at first it starts with the emotion of fear, and then it gets to, I guess, despise of this, you know, not necessarily the university, but the fact that nothing is happening for it. So I I, I really feel like as far as the emotional part of it is, more students are more like fed up with it because it's something that's recurrent and it seems like, Not necessarily that we're brushing it to the side, but it hasn't been a resolution that's been effective yet. So I think the first time it happened in 2008, it was more of a fear. Now it's more of people are resenting the fact that it's happening and they want something to to happen about it. But I feel like in order for something to happen, we have to have more people come out and, you know, voice their opinion and show that they want to change because the way I see it, I mean, you can have an opinion, but if you don't voice it, nothing is going to change. Some have
1: mentioned in unofficial ways that uh, one of the options for going forward on this issue might be to uh, remove the possibility that students are able to spray paint or express themselves in the tunnel is that an option that your group feels may be necessary or if not now what point would it be necessary to just kind of shut the whole program down
7: well as far as the group i can't speak on the group because we haven't explicitly spoke about that but just from my standpoint i feel like that does more harm than good because uh it's just like it's just like having a program for remedial kids it's an outlet for them to actually be able to you know express themselves and you know i guess you know do things that they're not allowed to do you can't go in your your dorm room and paint your wall and do certain things because of the fact that you're you're vandalizing property so i feel like the free expression tunnel is there you know that helps students especially students that have a real big artistic ability so i think that does more harm than good because there's a lot of times i walk through the tunnel and there's programs put out there. There's very positive images images out there. So I don't feel like it would do more good by getting rid of it. But if there was a way that we could actually, I guess, watch it or or try to, try to police the way way things are being put up there or what is actually being put up there. But it's I know it's a very difficult process.
2: Now, how do you feel or like? What do you say to these people that repeatedly write things like this in the tunnel, like? I mean, obviously, you can't be like, "Hey, I know you, and I know who you are, um, and I want to tell you this." But like, what do you say to these people that like repeatedly write insensitive and seemingly ignorant things in these, t- like, the tunnel? It is 2010. I would like to remind the listeners why. Why are we still repeating these mistakes?
7: Um, as far as if like I had a chance to address them, the first thing I would want to know is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I guess, fend hatred back on you because that's going backwards. In my opinion, I would want to know, well, why do you feel this way? You no, know, talk to me as why. If you feel this certain way, I feel like, you know, you can still tell me what's going Oh, well, why you feel this way. And I could try to educate you for why you shouldn't feel that way. Not towards just African-Americans, but any other race other than yourself in general. I feel like, I mean, if there was a way to address that person, it's kind of hard because there's no telling what kind of upbringing that person's been in, where they've been from, or what kind of experiences they've had before then. what we can let them know is that you can't generalize a a bad situation or uh, a certain thought that's been put in your head to everybody else because we're all human beings, we're all adults, and we're all college students. We're here to get an education. We're not here to, I guess, pick on that person. I feel like that's really immature, and that's, that goes into the ignorance thing where you can't, really, you can't really, I guess, address it without saying, okay, well, why do you feel this way? But voice and hate back is not, is not a good idea.
1: So for folks that are out there listening and uh, wondering, you know, what's upcoming? Uh, are there any meetings that are coming up or any places on social media, Facebook or Twitter that they can find out more about uh, the efforts being undertaken by the university or the NAACP to address these issues?
7: Um, there's many outlets that they could go to. Uh, we also, we have a Facebook page. If you just go to the search browser and go to, uh, NAACP or you go to NC State, NAACP will come up It's a big logo. Um, well, they also have the listservs, uh, with the multi, uh, Multicultural uh, Student Affairs Office. If you go to www.ncsu.edu slash MSA, you can, uh, uh, subscribe to those listservs and that has a lot of organizations that post their events that way and a lot of organizations tie up together and try to do things for the community that way um if you want to s- speak to the group themselves uh our email is ncsu n-a-a-c-p at uh gmail.com so there's plenty of ways to go out there we we don't have a twitter right now but i feel like the facebook group and with the listserv we we send out constant information and you can email us and we're we're very responsive with that
2: well, Josh, thank you much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and we will be right back with Mark's food fun.
9: Well, we're back at seven forty three here on Eye on the Triangle. Mark Herring, time to talk collard greens. Yeah, I think so. I like to think of myself as a gastronome, as someone who can appreciate the finer things in life. I'm not saying this from a condescending platform from which to propagate my ego, no. But I truly like the taste of a good Bordeaux over the ever-so-deer dear 4 loco. Or a well-crafted cheddar compared to Kraft brand cheddar. But here's the thing. Many people who preoccupy themselves with sophisticated flavors and the more obscure realms of cuisine usually overlook the good, simple things standing right in front of them. I'm talking about collard greens. Soul food has paradoxically been written off as gunk by the elites and fetishized by the enthusiasts. But no matter the opinion, it's hard to disregard the fact that this is, or sadly was, a staple to our diet, especially us southerners. The collard, which was so vital to our diet, has disappeared, at least from the mainstream perspective. However, we are literally surrounded by this vegetable. This weekend, I was driving down 15501 through Chatham County, and I saw a sign for fresh collard greens nearly every mile. Local vendors will literally shovel them on top of you at the farmer's market, even if you mention the word collard. Nonetheless, a lot of us have preconceived notions that collards are poor people food, or that collards are mushy grass clippings that resemble the taste of compost once cooked down. Here's my collard recipe that I want to share to convince the skeptics, as well as make a tribute to the enthusiasts. I make this every Thanksgiving. Get a bundle of collards, which will probably be about 15 to 20 of these cabbage leaves. Wash them, please do, unless you think the taste of gritty sand as a tenderizer is something good. So wash them, because they're grown in sandy soil, the sand does not complement any of the flavors once it's cooked down. Tear the greens into strips and make sure not to include the large central stem vein-like thing in the middle of the plant. You know what I'm referring to. Once cooked down, this stem will have a slightly bitter flavor. And I think this is where a lot of the disgust develops with people who have had traumatic collard experiences. In a large pot, heat up three tablespoons of olive oil to medium heat. Now here's the secret. Add three or four strips of bacon maybe some pancetta, or some derivative of fatty pork, and render out the fat. Let the meat brown slightly. Once you achieve this, take out the meat and reserve it for later. Now, for all you vegetarian, kosher, or halal keepers out there, this part is supplemental, just purely for the flavor. But it's a good flavor that I don't like to sacrifice, if I'm in charge at least. I like to add some chopped garlic and half an onion to the pot, as well as a sliced bell pepper, Add some salt and pepper to taste, and cook this down until they are caramelized, or slightly brown, rather, for the non-pompous cooks out there. This step, too, is unorthodox to the traditionalists, but the enzymes from the pepper cut through the fat as well as enhance the inherent flavors of the collards, which I'm getting to. Medium heat. Add a handful of collards. Add some water or chicken stock, and some salt, too. Let the water cook out and evaporate, and the collards will do their thing. Repeat until you're out of greens to add to the pot. Now, add some more liquid just to let everything cook down for a while or so, until the greens are tender and flavorful. It's surprising how the bitterness of the collard transforms into subtle sweetness upon being cooked. Also, add some vinegar into the mix at some point when cooking, to cut the bitterness as well as express all the all the flavors. Take note, if something tastes a little bland, it's probably missing either salt or acid. When you're ready to dig in, after about 45 minutes or so, make sure the greens are hot and garnish with the crispy bacon, broken into small bite-sized pieces preferably. I really want to jump into a pot of this stuff right now, and I hope you do too. Collards are a mainly fall thing, but they're available throughout the year. This recipe is not unique to collards, though. It's more of a insert dark leafy green here type of recipe. Turnip greens, Swiss chard, kale, mustard greens, dandelion shoots, whatever... They'll all work. I encourage you all to try this recipe or to go out and order collards next time. You just might surprise yourself. Not only are they tasty, they're pretty healthy too. But for me, it's all about the taste. Thanks for listening and have a delicious evening. All right.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. Sports is next.
2: the sidelines on Eye on
1: the Triangle.
14: Your weekly update on athletic events.
1: It is 749 here at WKNC. Time for sports. We are pleased to have in the studio with us live at this moment our resident sportscasters from Technician, Tyler Everett and Taylor Barber. How are you doing tonight?
13: Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. How are you
1: doing guys? better
15: see? than the football team. That was a, a rough weekend. Uh, big win against Florida State. Came out and Really laid an egg against the Clemson team that didn't bring it, but State didn't win anyway. Uh, Taylor, tell us a little bit more about what we saw Saturday.
13: Well, if you were watching the game, you weren't watching a very pretty one. It was a uh, an ugly game, to say the least, for uh, the Both game teams, against really. – Both
15: yeah. Not just because State lost. that wasn't a pretty, uh, I doubt Clemson fans are sitting there calling that a beautiful game. They, they'll, they'll take the win any day, but uh, they fumbled the ball five times. State was awful in the red zone. The last drive was marred by two big drops that were extremely costly – uh, the, those drops to end the game were fitting in a game full of, full of missed opportunities, missed field goals by both teams, touchdowns called back by both teams. Um, did not look like two teams that are actually, believe it or not, if you take a look at the standings are, are, uh, right in the thick of the, uh, Atlantic Division race for the ACC Championship.
13: Yeah, it was. uh, I mean, it was definitely a terrible game. And like the big, the big storyline for state after the Florida State game heading in is they control their own destiny. They just have to win out. They're making the ACC Championship game down in Charlotte, and they just all they have to do is just take care of their business. However, they didn't take care of business down in Clemson. They ended up losing fourteen to thirteen, and it was just. I mean, it was a rough game to say the least. But at the same time, it ended up there is is a silver lining. Maryland lost. And Florida State lost to Carolina, and that me. What that means for us is that State still controls its own destiny, and all it has to do is take care of business against Wake Carolina next week, and then um, at Maryland m- at to end uh, the to season. So, seven,
1: seven, 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 seven. I want to remind our listeners that if they want to get in on this conversation, they can do so through Twitter. Uh, hit us up, WKNC EOT or WKNC eighty eight one. We'll make sure
13: we get your questions or comments into the program. Yeah, and then, I mean, going and going, keeping along these lines against Clemson, and I think one of the big stories of it is those continued red zone interceptions by Russell Wilson. I mean, he has thrown so many of those. And just once you get in the red zone, we've struggled so much to get actually in. I mean, we're good up to the 20-yard line. And when that field gets really short, it seems like we struggle. I don't know if it's the fact that we don't really have a, a smack-you-in-the-mouth rushing game, I rushing that, attack. I think
15: that might be exactly what it is, Taylor. I actually <laughs> talked to Owen Spencer about this this week, and he was talking about how – the red zone is kind of where the men come to play. There's uh, maybe a ceiling or a back wall, if you will, to the – Places the offense can go, that back of the end zone, no receivers can run further than that. Every other part of the field, the defense has to stretch and make sure nothing's getting behind them. In the red zone, everything's in front of them, so you've got to push them out of your way. You can't get behind them. You can't rely on them playing back so you can find some room in front of them. Um, You've really got to blow somebody off the ball and push them around, and that's not State's game this year. The running game has been effective at times, but it's not a conventional bringing a fullback, bringing an extra tight end. Uh, get a surge and and run into the end zone and that's where you struggle you see passing teams like this struggle all the time in the red zone but uh, that doesn't make it any more heartening the loss to ECU the statistics were dead even almost across the board the one discrepancy was in the red zone ECU was far more efficient Um, and then uh, another big thing a call that a lot of folks are talking about and will be talking about if this season doesn't get Rectified was the fourth and one decision um, obviously anytime you have a four yard punt whatever the, the decision that led up to it is going to be questioned and criticized but uh, even a good punt there still in hindsight's 2020 we lost so maybe this is the only reason folks are saying this but fourth and one why not go for it it worked the week before against Florida State O'Brien's uh, explanation of it after the game was that. Um, they didn't get it on third and one, so why would they get it on fourth and one? Well, that wasn't thinking, That wasn't the thing against Florida State. They rolled the dice. It paid off against Clemson, fourth and one, n- middle of the field, in a situation where it's going to boil down to getting the ball back. Your defense needs a three and out, whether the other team's on their own 10, their own 40. It doesn't matter where they are. You need a three and out. And so why not take the chance, and even if you don't get it, you need a three and out, which you would have needed anyway. The defense ended up coming through with it, and then the offense gets it back. And like I said, in an offending conclusion to the game, State got one first down, would have had another one with more than two minutes to play, and this would have put them near midfield. Uh, Russell dropped back and threw a strike to Asa Watson, and it bounced off the uh, spot on his chest between the eight and the two. I mean, literally right between the numbers, and he, and he couldn't bring it in. A big drop there, and then an ill-advised heave 40 yards down the field in a double cover to Jarvis Williams. I think all three players involved on that fell down, not even close there, and then a hurry, spoiled the next play, came down to fourth and ten. Russell Russell made a tremendous throw. If it was caught, we'd be talking about one of his best throws of the season, if not his career. Rolled all the way to the sideline, nearly stepped out, two rushers in his face. He finally rips it, and uh, T.J. Graham drops it, so
2: there it was. And uh, a disappointing uh, conclusion was that that was on national TV, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. Uh, no. That was a, good. A I'm glad. Yeah. Um, I'm very glad to hear that that was not on national TV. But you know, bygones are now bygones. We are looking forward to this week. It is the homecoming weekend at NC State, and I, I I don't know. I I know very little about the what, what sport are we talking about? Football, right? Um, <laughs> I think that's right. I think so. But anyway, um, I, I think you defy any one of these players to not put everything they have on the field this weekend, wouldn't you think?
13: Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a big game. The thing that helps, I mean, homecoming weekend, this is our last home game of the season against Wake Forest, so I think it's going to be a huge game for us. It's homecoming, and everything's big. You want to come back out. I mean, as we've seen with this team, it's Jekyll and Hyde one week. One week you go out, you play your heart out against Florida State on national TV. You look very well, and then you come out in Clemson, and you just kind of lay an egg, like you said. And so I think, I mean, if – History repeats itself. this is a game where we should come out. And we should play historically we haven 't played well against uh, wake I think we 're one and two against them in the past three years i mean last last year 's game down in Wake Forest was a rough one to take where uh, Russell Wilson ended his uh, con- consecutive passes without an interception streak. But I think I mean this, this year is a completely different Wake team. They've lost a lot of guys. They're extremely young. They're young offense, in offense, this...
15: defense, particularly in the secondary. They've got a lot of inexperience. They're a team that on paper State should beat up and down the field. Not well, maybe not up and down the field, but State's definitely got an edge as far as looking at rosters who the pack has, mm-hmm. who wake has. Wake is undermanned this year. They lost sixty two to fourteen to to Maryland. I don't know what their record is exactly but I'd it's two and seven, two and seven, rather. And according to conference play, two, what did they won? One conference game, is that right? Yeah, they won against Duke mm-hmm. in that high scoring affair. One and five. In, they won against conference. Duke in a shutout yeah. and haven't but won a conference game since. And they are nearly last in defense mm-hmm. in yeah.
1: the NCAA.
13: Yeah, they are. I mean, they're they struggle a lot. They lost Aaron Curry. They've lost a lot of players like that, and it's just been a struggle for Wake and just for Jim Grobe to get those guys back on the team. I mean, it's tough playing in Wake and coaching at Wake. I mean, it's, they don't have a lot of. Really just a lot of recruiting things to bring in people down in uh, Winston-Salem. But it should be a good game. But I, I thoroughly expect the Pack to come out and to handily beat Wake. I mean, if they don't beat them, we, we're not, we shouldn't even be talking about the ACC championship game if we can't go out and take care of our business at home, homecoming weekend against,
15: NC, uh, against Wake Forest.
1: So what are you guys looking for this weekend? And uh, predictions, if you dare.
15: I mean, I look for State to bounce back. They've done it these past couple of weeks. Um, ever since that Virginia Tech loss, they followed the Virginia Tech loss, big win over BC, came out lost to ECU, followed the ECU with a buy, then a big win over Florida State, then lost. Now coming off a loss again, they've played some of their best football coming off losses. I think they come out big. Senior Day's huge. Uh, another thing uh, I talked to you about with Owen Spencer was the lift everybody's got on senior day both seniors and underclassmen the seniors don't want to go out on a bad note and the juniors don't want to send their senior buddies out on a low note so i think these guys are going to come to play i think they're going to bring it i think combine the anger combine the fact that Wake should be man especially with their defense state coming off its worst offensive effort of the season i think state comes out and wins uh, 35-14 let's say let's hope
13: yeah, I'm about. I'm right with you about with the prediction of the score. I think we're just going to come. State's just going to come out there. I mean, we don't outside of one half against Virginia Tech. NC State this season does not play bad in front of its home fans. I think that just playing at home, the fans, Carter Finley Stadium, the comfort there, just is a lot bigger deal than anyone um, really thinks that it is. And I think they just come out there and they are, like I said, I would say right around thirty-five ten is a prediction going to State's way.
1: So very quickly, any other news and notes coming out of the Wolfpack Nation? Other sports, uh, basketball of course, gearing up uh, right now.
15: Yep. One more one more tidbit on football. This is interesting. You can take it for what it's worth. Russell Wilson will be honored on senior day as a senior. They'll honor all the guys that are seniors. Russell's a red shirt junior. May or may not be next year. O'Brien has downplayed this decision saying he made it because last year Tony Baker was supposed to come out was not honored as a senior and then left and never got that honor. So they want to make sure you know, at worst, Russell gets honored today, comes back next year, and is honored again. But you can't help but wonder if this isn't a bigger sign than that—that that him coming out, you know, senior day, his parents walking him out—is a sign that we've seen the last of number sixteen uh, under center for the Pack. So keep that in mind. And then uh, basketball, ba- basketball, score up yeah, basketball is
13: in, in action game. for the first for the first time this season against Pfeiffer playing over there in uh, Reynolds Coliseum. And at the half, NC State is up fifty-two thirty-four and leading the way for the Pack is uh, freshman guard Lorenzo Brown, who has 12 points and 5 rebounds. Returning uh, senior uh, Tracy Smith is, se- is second on the team in scoring with 11 points. And it looks like so far that the Pack are coming out, and at least against Pfeiffer, there's not been a letdown, and these, uh, these freshmen weren't, have come out and just responded well playing their first collegiate game. The regular
15: season home opener will be Friday at <clears throat> 7 o'clock at the RBC Center versus, I believe, it's Tennessee Tech. Mm-hmm. So. so let's um, hope for a good one and go Pack. Well, thank you so much,
1: guys. Uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Everett, Taylor Barber. I'm I'm way too easy to get uh, your names confused, but I got it right both times today. Uh, thanks so much well for done. being with us, and hope you have hope you have a good weekend. Hope the pack has a good weekend. I hope you're back with us uh, with some good news, and uh, also join us next week. But in the meantime, if you're looking for anything to do, uh, it's homecoming week, of course. and There are all kinds of things going on on campus, but some ones I want to point out real quickly are the homecoming blood drives Wednesday, November tenth and Thursday the 11th at the Tally Student Center Ballroom rather Wednesdays is at the Tally Ballroom 11am to 4:30 Thursdays is at Carmichael in the play zone from 10am to 3pm uh check givesblood.org to find out more information about how you can sign up and also where specifically to go also uh, big deal coming to campus November 17th next week from 6 to 7:15 Slate.com, online magazine, they have a sports gang, a sports podcast that they do. They're going to be doing their first live show on the road from the McKimmon Center here at NC State. If you're interested in uh, listening to them talk about some sports, tickets are free, but you need to register to do so at slate.com slash NC State. And for all the other upcoming events going on in and around campus this week, go to technicianonline.com, and you can find a bunch of things going on in the right-hand column. So, please, as I said, join us next week. Hopefully, we'll have some good news to report for football. I'll let you know what's going to be on the way in next week's show. If you visit our website, wknc.org/eot, recently redesigned, looks great, and that's a great way to submit things to us. If you have story ideas, questions, complaints, suggestions, compliments, etc., other ways to keep in touch with us are Twitter, wknceot, wknc881, uh, Facebook, Public Affairs at wknc.org. And uh, remember that tonight's show will be podcasted on iTunes U. Just search for EOT. So a big thanks to our guest tonight, Josh Smith from the NCSU NAACP. And for my producer, Chris Chaffee, correspondents Jacob Downey, Mason Morris, and Tom Anderson, sportscasters, Tyler Everton, Taylor Barber, weathercaster, meteorologist Katie Costa, and food critic Mark Herring, I'm your host and public affairs director, John Boyer. Have a great night. Join us next time for more Eye on the Triangle, and please stay tuned for After Hours.